0: Okay, then, let's open up our Bibles to Joshua chapter 20. Joshua chapter 20 as we continue our journey through um, the word of God. And we're going to do the whole chapter 20 today. Uh, So I'll read through the chapter and then we'll see where the Lord leads us. The Lord also spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills any person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he flees to one of these cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city as one of them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. Then, if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand, because he struck his neighbour unintentionally, but he did not hate him beforehand. And he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment, and until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city, and his own house to the city from which he fled. So they appointed Kadesh in Galilee, in the mountains of Naphtali, Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron, in the mountains of Judah. And on the other side of the Jordan, by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness on the plain, from the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in Gilead, from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan, from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for the stranger who sojourned among them. That whoever killed any person accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. So the Lord also spoke to Joshua. It says there in verse one. And what an awesome thing that is. The Lord speaks to his servants. He doesn't leave us in darkness. He doesn't leave us in a place of uncertainty. He speaks. And Let's be clear, he doesn't just speak to leaders. He speaks to all men who are submitted and yielded to him. He speaks to the heart who is willing to receive instruction. And here he speaks to Joshua. And he says, speak to the children of Israel, saying, appoint for yourselves cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses. So the Lord would speak to Joshua And then Joshua would speak to the children of Israel, and it was their duty to carry out the will of God as it was communicated. And I was reminded as I was looking into this, that back in Exodus chapter 33, specifically verses 7 to 11, Moses had a tent of meeting outside the camp. And during the wilderness, Moses would enter the tent and the pillar of cloud would come and move to the door of the tent. And there, inside the tent, Moses would communicate with God. Afterwards, Moses would return to the camp of the Israelites. But it says there in Exodus 33 that Joshua remained in the tent. That means Joshua was present whenever Moses communicated with God. What an awesome privilege that must have been for Joshua, for him to have witnessed firsthand Moses communicating with God, and then of course Moses appointed Joshua as the new leader of Israel, and God confirmed it. And we know that uh, the tent, the name, the tent of meeting, started to be a referred to, to the way that the tabernacle was referred to, the place which held the ark of the covenant, the place of sacrifice. But I wonder, did Joshua keep this tent that Moses used and did he go and retire and speak to the Lord in the same manner that his uh, predecessor, Moses, had done? I certainly think Joshua would have drawn from the example he saw from Moses and he certainly would have known what it was to speak and to hear from the Lord. And we can be sure that he set aside time to be alone, to hear from God. And it is important that every one of us has a tent of meeting a place that we can withdraw to to be alone with the lord to speak to him and to hear from the lord and it is also good to fix a definite time to meet with the lord you know that we are creatures of habit and uh, we are more likely to do something if we set aside a specific time for that time we need to have that time to be alone with the lord And what the Lord says to Joshua and uh, to Israel is very clear. Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge. Now, eventually there would be 48 cities that would be appointed for the Levites. And here we have a map illustrating those 48 different cities that would be given to the uh, Israelites, sorry, to the Levites, I mean, throughout the entire land. And we're going to go into those cities in a bit more detail when we get to chapter 21 but of those uh, 48 cities, six of them were to be specially designated locations for uh, cities of refuge. And let me see. There we go. There are the locations of the six cities of refuges. And these were, ci- these were to be cities where somebody who was guilty of manslaughter, who had killed somebody um, accidentally, could flee for safety. But it will also be a place of refuge from the avenger of blood. So it says there in verse three that the slayer who kills anyone, any person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. So the question arises, who is the avenger of blood or what is the avenger of blood? Well, the word in Hebrew is goel. And it went, and that word Goel was translated in lots of different ways. Sometimes he was referred to as the Avenger of Blood. Sometimes simply referred to as the Revenger. Sometimes he was referred to as the Kinsman Redeemer. And sometimes he was simply called the Redeemer. But he was the closest living male relative or next of kin to the person who had been wronged or needed help. Uh, and with that uh, distinction of being the closest living male relative came duties. Duties of restoring the rights and avenging the wrongs of their kinsmen, of their close relative. And the Goel, the kinsman redeemer, the avenger of blood, had four specific duties. And these are the four specific duties. The first was to redeem an enslaved relative. So if if your close relative to whom you were, the goel, had been sold into slavery, they fell into poverty, into poor times, they couldn't look after themselves, they'd sold themselves in slavery. It was the responsibility of the goel to buy back that person from slavery, to redeem them from slavery. The second responsibility of the goel was to redeem the family land so it didn't fall out of the family or tribal ownership. You know, when you fell into bad times, you might have sold the land on. And uh, it was the responsibility of the Goel to buy that bank land, to make sure that you didn't lose your tribal inheritance. The third duty or responsibility of the Goel was to redeem a family line, to make sure the family line continued and didn't come to an end. So, for example, if your brother had died, without having any children. It was your responsibility as the Goel to marry your brother's wife and ensure she had children. And those children would bear the name of your brother and not yourself. And in his name, the family line would continue and he would continue to own the inheritance of the land. So redemption of the family line. And then the fourth responsibility or duty of the Goel was to redeem the life of a relative who had been wrongly killed to avenge the life of your close relative. And it is this fourth duty that is very much in light, uh, in being spoken of here in chapter 20. Of course, the most famous Goel in the Bible is Boaz. Uh, Boaz is spoken of in the book of Ruth, and he redeemed the land that belonged to Naomi's husband, Elimelech. So that's the second duty there. But also, he redeemed the family line by marrying Ruth. So that's the third responsibility there. But interestingly enough, Ruth and Naomi were victims of uh, poverty. They didn't have much money at all. And it would have been very likely that they could have sold themselves to slavery to be able to pay for their way. And so there's an argument there that Boaz also... Uh, redeemed them from potential slavery as well so the first three responsibilities of the goel was fulfilled by boaz i also find it interesting that in the book of isaiah the word goel is used repeatedly as a title for god it almost seems to be the favorite title of god by the prophet isaiah he says the lord your redeemer or the lord your goel or your savior and goel your savior and redeemer Or he simply calls uh, God, your Goel, the Redeemer. And what is interesting to me is that all the while, throughout Isaiah's prophecies, he is warning the children of Israel of their approaching um, invasion and captivity under Babylon. That there was going to be loss of life, loss of land and loss of liberty because of Israel's sins. But throughout the time that he was warning the children of Israel, He was referring to God as their redeemer, as their goel. So with this um, warning of judgment, loss of life, land and liberty, there was also the promise of deliverance from slavery, repossession of the land and the reestablishing of family lines and vengeance of Babylon, all included in this title goel. There was hope uh, alongside the warning every facet of the kinsman redeemer would be undertaken in God's deliverance of Israel from Babylon. They may be taken into captivity but the grace and the love of God was in effect and he made sure that they went into captivity with a hope and a promise to keep hold of in their hearts. It says in Isaiah 54 verse 8, with a little wrath I hid my face from you for a moment but with everlasting kindness I will have mercy on you says the Lord. Our Redeemer. Now, there was no police force in ancient Israel. It was the responsibility of all men to ensure that the law was maintained. There was a collective social responsibility, if you like. Matters could be dealt with on a family level or on a tribal level. Very rarely they would be dealt with on a national level, although there is an instance in judges where I'm aware of a national level of dealing with a problem. But usually, matters were dealt with on a city level if a crime was committed it was a responsibility of the members of the public to bring the offender before the judges and the priests of the city for the case to be heard and sentence to be made you see this type of thinking was still in effect in the days of Jesus because the woman caught in adultery was brought before Jesus for judgment to be made and indeed Jesus was brought before the Sanhedrin for the for him to be judged in a case as well And the typical location for a case to be heard was in the city gates. Along a city wall, you would have an outer wall and an inner wall and an outer gate and an inner gate. And in between those two gates, there was a complex structure of courtyards. And this is where business matters were executed. And this is also where legal matters were addressed. In many respects, this was the hub of the city, the town hall, if you like. And the Jewish, Biblical penal system was built on a very simple principle, and that principle is found in Exodus 21, verses 24 and 25. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. In other words, the punishment must fit the crime. The punishment must fit the crime. And the Lord is zealous to see that justice is carried out. And when it comes to the matter of murder, the Mosaic law was very clear concerning what should happen. In Numbers 35 verses 30 to 31, we read, Whoever kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the testimony of witnesses. But one witness is not sufficient testimony against a person for the death penalty. Moreover, you shall make no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. The only justice for murder was the death penalty. There was to be no long-term imprisonment. There was to be no commuting of sentence. There was to be no ransom paid. It was to be life for life. The punishment must fit the crime, but capital punishment should only be exacted on the testimony of two witnesses or more there must be irrefutable evidence for that to happen and let's be clear capital punishment wasn't instituted in the mosaic law it was instituted all the way back in genesis 9 in genesis 9 verse 6 god had said to noah whoever sheds man's blood by man his blood shall be shed for in the image of god he made man see the bible recognizes two classifications of killing accidental and intentional self-defense is not listed as a possibility it is either accidental or it is intentional so what happens when it is accidental death manslaughter well this is where the avenger of blood comes in let's just say somebody has been chopping wood and somehow the handle or the head comes off the axe and it flies off and it hits somebody else on the head and they die. Um, it was not intentional. There was no malice aforethought. But through accidental accident, this person had died. What would happen? Well, it was important that the person was brought to justice. And it was the responsibility of the goel, the avenger of blood, to ensure that justice was served. And he, the, the goel was legally allowed to avenge his blood relative life for life. He could pursue the manslayer and put him to death. Now, what would you do in that situation if you knew you had killed somebody accidentally and there was the closest kinsman of the person you'd killed and he was coming to kill you? What would you do? You'd run for your life, wouldn't you? You'd make a quick exit and you'd try to get out there fast. But where do you go to? Where do you go to? Well, this is what it says in verse three of Joshua 20 that the slayer who kills any person accidentally or unintentionally may flee from there and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. The city of refuge is the place where you run to and there you can be safe. And once the manslayer came to the city of refuge, he would present his case to the elders in the gates where the court cases were heard and um, they would be obligated to give him a place of security and safety within the city. He'd be given work and the means to support himself, and he would be safe from the avenger of blood who would be pursuing him. And there, the, in that city of refuge, the avenger of blood, the Goel, had no legal standing to put him to death. Now, there are some conditions here. First of all, the manslayer was bound to stay within the city walls. If we were to jump down to verse 6, we read, and he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment, and until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. So he he stands before the congregation for judgment. He must stay there until he stands before the congregation for judgment. Now it is possible a true murderer would disguise themselves as a manslayer, and in this instance the Goel would bring a case of prosecution against the witness. And if proven, the murderer would be handed over to the Goel for justice. But if disproven, the manslayer would remain safe within the city of refuge. Legal proceedings must be followed, and uh, guilt and innocence must be properly determined. But we all also read there in verse 6 and until the death of the one who is high priest in those days the life and freedom of the manslayer was linked to the high priest that manslayer could take refuge in that city up until the point when the high priest died and when the high priest died he would gain full freedom he could leave the city of refuge he could go back to his hometown and he would be acquitted and the avenger of blood the goel had no recourse in law to pursue him he could go back to his own, own life. So if you were in that situation, you might uh, might understandably wish that the, you uh, had an old high priest. So he would die sooner rather than later so you could get back home. But if it was a new, young, new high priest and a young man, you know that the rest of your life was going to be spent inside that city of refuge. Of course, if the manslayer, the person guilty of manslaughter left the jurisdiction of the city of refuge prior to the death of the high priest or indeed prior to a legal case being brought, the avenger of blood could put him to death. Safety lay within the walls of the city and within the walls of the city alone. So these are all the laws about the Goel and the avenger of blood and the cities of refuge. Now let's look at these six little six uh, these six cities a little bit more clearly Uh, go back to our powerpoint so that's the modern state of israel as it is at the moment that little blue area and here is uh the map of the tribal territories that were allotted to israel and there were going to be three cities located on the west side of the jordan and there were going to be Three uh, cities of refuge located on the east side of the Jordan, the Transjordan area. And they were to be evenly spaced out in the land, easily within reach of each tribal territory, so that there would be little more than perhaps a day's journey to each, so that if you were guilty of manslaughter, you could make your way to that city in uh, without too much delay. Interestingly, in Deuteronomy 19, verse 3, we're told that the there had to be well-maintained roads to these cities of refuge. There had to be an easy way of getting there and they had to be clearly marked. The way to the city of refuge need to be clearly understood so there was no question how to get there. So going back to the PowerPoint, if we were to take our current map of the different territories of Israel and then put them over the map of the modern country or the modern state of Israel and just trans, make it transparent. You can see the area that was given to the tribes under Joshua and which they occupied compared to the area of land that Israel now currently occupy and own. Now that doesn't really help us much. What I would like to do is to take this uh, modern state of Israel, and put it in a geographical location where we can have a better understanding of the size of Israel. And what better than England? There we go. We can see the, at, uh, the current state of Israel occupies a, a territory which roughly goes from Poole up to Middlesbrough, and is not very wide. England is much bigger. But now if we were to overlay that, with our map of the tribal territories of of Israel under Joshua and then if we were to add the six cities of refuge in their locations right there and then if we were to remove the map of the territories under Joshua but keep the location of the six cities of refuge I think we get a better understanding of how close they were actually together. There is one there which is um, halfway between York and Middlesbrough along the A1. There is one there to the east of York. There is one there near Hull. There is one on the outskirts of Sheffield. There is one there uh, to the east of Nottingham and there's one there on the M6 toll uh, near Birmingham. Whoever thought Birmingham would become a city of refuge, eh? And I look at this and I think to myself, if I had a car, I reckon I could get to all six of those in one day. And if I was on foot uh, or on horseback or something of that nature, there's a good chance I could reach any one of those in a day from the area that was Israel. And I think that gives us a clearer idea of how near um, or how close these cities of refuge were and the geographical proximity they were. So these cities of refuge were not for the israelite only the sojourner the gentile could avail themselves of the city also and what this shows us is that god does not show partiality the lord operates with equal justice to all men be they israelite or be they gentile and we know we've seen already that the goel is a picture of the lord our redeemer but these cities are a picture of the lord our god also psalm 46 verse 1 says god is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble and in this in this psalm we're seeing that god is a picture of the city of refuge someone that we can go to in times of trouble just like the manslayer could the same thought is expressed in psalm 9 verse 9 the lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed a refuge in time of trouble in proverbs 18:10 uh, we all know this the name of the lord is a strong tower the righteous run to it and are safe and we the righteous can run to the lord our strong tower our city of refuge and we can be safe within his walls and then in the new testament in hebrews 6:18 we read that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for god to lie We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. There the writer of Hebrews pictures God as the city of refuge to which we flee for hope and for security. Also, it should be said that these cities are not just a picture of God. They're a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ as well. Because if we think about it, the city was within easy reach of the guilty and Jesus Christ is within easy reach of the guilty whoever cries out uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ they will be saved and they'll be delivered we were told that the way to the city was on a was to be on a well maintained road and clearly marked and the way to Jesus Christ the way to our city of refuge is clearly marked uh, He is the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. And there are so many signs in today's society, so many evidences within scripture, so many signposts and well uh, pointing towards the way to our city of refuge, Jesus Christ. Of course, the city was to be open to all, not just the Israelite. And that is exactly the same with Jesus Christ. The way of salvation through Jesus Christ is open to all not just the Israelite, it's the whosoever will that can be saved. The city was also a place where the guilty dwelt and that's the same, we dwell in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not only a person that we run to for salvation, it is there in that salvation that we dwell and we live and are secure. Also the city was the only recourse for the guilty. The manslayer had nowhere else to run. The only way to be safe was to go to that city. And Jesus Christ is is the only recourse for mankind who is guilty. The only way to be saved is by running to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And of course, the city only provided salvation within its boundaries, within its city walls. Outside the city walls meant death. And the same is true of Jesus Christ. He can only provide salvation if we are in Christ. If we are outside Christ, it means death and destruction. You must be in Christ to be saved. It was interesting to me that the guilty were driven to the city out of fear of the avenger of blood. And we, too, are driven to the Lord Jesus Christ for fear of death, for fear of judgment. That is what drives us to Jesus Christ. But also, you could gain complete and full freedom when the high priest died. And that is exactly true of us as well. When the high priest, Jesus Christ, died, we gained full freedom. Hallelujah. Now, I just want to look at the names of these six cities. These names are given in verses 7 and 8 as Kadesh, Shechem, Hebron, Bezer, Ramoth and Golan. These cities' uh, names all meant something. Kadesh meant righteous, Shechem means shoulder, Hebron means fellowship, Beza means fortress, Ramoth means heights and Golan means exile. And all six names describe what happens to sinners who flee to Jesus Christ for refuge. You see when you flee to Jesus Christ He gives you his righteousness, Kadesh. And Jesus, like a shepherd, carries you on his shoulders, Shechem. Jesus brings you into a place of fellowship with him, with the God, and with other believers in Christ, Hebron. Jesus becomes your place of safety, your fortress, Biza. And Jesus takes you from the depths of sin to the heights of heaven. Ramoth. And Jesus makes you a stranger and an alien in this world as you take on the citizenship of heaven. You become an exile. Golan. These cities all point towards Jesus Christ and the work of salvation that is performed in our lives. Now there is one other application to do with these cities of refuge that uh, I'd like to point out and this is an application for Israel. If we were to go to Acts chapter 3 Peter in his address to the people in Solomon's portico after the healing of the lame beggar in the beautiful gate made it clear that Israel's killing of Jesus was committed out of ignorance that Israel's killing of Jesus was an act of manslaughter if I read a, an abbreviated version of Acts 3 verses 12 to 19 it says well Peter said men of Israel You denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Here Peter tells Israel that you killed Jesus out of ignorance. It was an act of manslaughter. Thus, there is a way open for you to be saved. You can run to Jesus Christ, uh, and your city of refuge, and you can be saved. And Jesus himself gave the same verdict upon the cross. In Luke 23, 24, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He was declaring Israel guilty of manslaughter, not murder. And the way was open for the nation to repent and to be forgiven. There was 40 years of grace given before judgment would fall. And judgment came in 70 AD when Rome invaded Jerusalem. Now we know that many Jews, many Jews did not avail themselves of the city of refuge in that 40 years. And they fell when Jerusalem fell. But there was one man who availed himself of that uh, city of refuge and his name was paul he ran to god he ran to jesus for refuge and he talks about this in 1 timothy chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 where it says i was formerly a blasphemer a persecutor and an insolent man but i obtained mercy because i did it ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. Paul admitted he acted in ignorance. But he, him being guilty of manslaughter ran to Jesus Christ, the city of refuge, and was saved. And what a tremendous blessing Paul turned out to be for the church. Now let, it, let me make it clear to all of us here this morning. We cannot plead manslaughter. We cannot plead ignorance. It says in Romans 1, verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all. And in Romans 1, 20, it says, we are without excuse. We cannot plead manslaughter. We cannot plead ignorance. We are guilty of sin. And unless you have fled by faith to Jesus, your city of refuge, you are not saved. It is sin that sent Jesus Christ to the cross And all of us are guilty of sin and all of us are guilty of his death. While the city of refuge was only for the accidental or the unintentionally guilty, Jesus Christ is there to save all men. It says in Hebrews 7 verse 25, Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The way to salvation is open. The way to security is open to all, it is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and by no other method or means. Let's be sure that we avail ourselves of that city of refuge and point others towards that city of refuge too. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for those things that we've looked at in your word this morning. I pray, Lord, that you impress them upon our hearts and our spirits and help us to be those that point other people towards the city of refuge. Help us to be those that uh, warn people of the the impending judgment. Help help us to be those who warn warn others of the avenger of blood that will come and pursue them. And Lord, encourage other people to avail themselves of the salvation that is in Jesus. Amen.